If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. My interest in the Kobu stems from my parents, of course who were drawn into this group in the early 70s in South Central Pennsylvania. It was in this group they got married, they had me, and they eventually left in the late 70s. The Kobu is a cult that's flown under the radar for over 40 years. Almost no one I've met in the past 40 years of my life has ever heard of it, except for those who've left, like my family. But it's still in existence today, although barely sustainable. Stuart Trail was the longtime leader of Kobu, and in a strange twist of timing, he passed away just this month, October 2018, while I have been producing this podcast. In fact, the first several interviews with my mom and Kobu author James LaRue, who will come on in a few episodes, they were conducted before the news broke of Stuart's death. To understand more about Kobu, we need to understand just who Stuart Trail was, though. To give you a brief history of the man who created this free labor army, which included my parents, to build a fortune for himself in the name of, quote, Christianity, I'll take you through a few facts before we get into the first interview with my mom, Judy. Some of these facts are drawn directly from this piece written in 2003 by Christopher J. Kelly. It came from the Scranton Times Tribune. Kelly's article is old at this point, it's 15 years old, but it actually gives us a good picture of how Stuart operated before he started Kobu, which was originally known as the Forever Family, and what his origin story was. So I'm going to read you some excerpts from that, and I'm going to explain to you a little bit about who Stuart was outside of this article as well. And then we'll get into the first interview with my mom. Again, her name is Judy, and she will be coming at you for several episodes to start this podcast out. She was finally willing to tell her story in a public forum, and I hope that you remember 
This, again, is not an investigation. It is not some kind of trial. It is just me getting a better understanding of what happened, how she got into the group, how she, you know, discovered that it wasn't what it was cracked up to be, and how she eventually left with my father and I. So again, let's talk about Stuart, and then we will hear from my mom. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, this article called On the Trail, Difficult to Peg Reclusive Lead was about Stuart Trail in 2003 by Christopher J. Kelly. It was published in the Scranton Times Tribune. Stuart Tanner Trail was born in Quebec in 1936, the second of Donald and Lorraine Trail's three children. He grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, developing early interest in science and religion, the latter of which has been attributed to his father, who was a Presbyterian minister and college professor. In 1959, Stuart married Shirley Rudy. This is his first wife. She was a young woman he'd originally found at an orphanage when she was a minor. Keep that in mind. They had five children together. An atheist on his wedding day, Stuart later said that becoming a father prodded him to establish a connection with a higher power. After studying several religions, he settled on Christianity finally, but he saw a basic problem with the faith. Christians were misinterpreting the Bible as he saw it. Announcing that the book, the Bible, was actually written in a color-based code only he could decipher, Stuart went to New York to preach his version of the gospel on Greenwich Village street corners. It was a new, tough interpretation of the scripture, heavy on repentance and retribution and light on grace and forgiveness. It was basically an extreme view of religion that made you feel bad, working on your guilt and your shame to trap you into submission to Stuart's version of this angry God. Using a dramatic catch 
catchphrase like deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, which comes from the New Testament of the Bible. Stuart returned to Allentown and he started assembling a small band of teenage acolytes that would become the nexus of what was known as the Forever Family. A few years later, the group would be incorporated as a nonprofit religious organization and renamed the Church of Bible Understanding, Kobu. This move would solidify Stewart as a church leader and also render his businesses tax-free. This was an important and shrewd move by him and typical of most cult leaders. After this move, Stewart started building an army of free labor, an army that would make him rich and powerful. At the time of his death, he was worth approximately $7 million, which is somewhat chump change in the world of cult leaders, but certainly more than many of his followers would ever make in their lifetimes. For many years, the Kobu raised funds via its nonprofit business. It was called Christian Brothers Carpet Cleaning, which employed mostly male Kobu members who worked up to 18 hours a day for almost no wages. I'm talking like $10 a week. They were called brothers. The women in the group were called sisters. And these brothers were commanded to witness to non-believers at work, on the street, in the community they lived in. They lived communally in these subpar conditions in lofts in Manhattan and walk-ups in Brooklyn and Baltimore, always conditions that were much lower, much worse than Stewart's. He lived in a much nicer house, in an estate, if you will, with his family, always above his followers. The carpet cleaning business, Christian Brothers Carpet Cleaning, was actually even spoofed on a Seinfeld episode in the early 90s in the Sunshine Carpet Cleaning episode. It's an episode where George tries unsuccessfully to get recruited by a cult, but the cult isn't interested in him. That is based on the Kobu Christian Brothers Carpet Cleaning business. In 1976, Stewart divorced his first wife, Shirley, and won custody of the couple's children. Two years after the divorce, Shirley Trail told the New York Daily News that Stewart refused to let her see their two youngest children and that he taught their older children that she was going to hell. Years later, in the 1980s, Kobu members would actually be brought to trial for beating, physically beating, one of Stewart's sons mercilessly with a board and sending him to the hospital with severe injuries, an action which Stewart himself allegedly ordered. After divorcing Shirley, Stewart soon married Gail Gillespie in the mid-70s, his 20-year-old secretary. They were still married up to the time of his death, although Gail was injured very badly in a car accident long ago and was left with really diminished capacities to function. It was the result of these brutal injuries that she suffered in a car crash, an accident which was the result of Stewart at the wheel of the car. Stewart lived in a mansion in Florida after that with his planes, a few hangers-on from Kobu days, mostly women, mostly young, and was rumored to have taken, quote, half-wives after Gail's accident years ago because she, quote, wasn't a true wife anymore. Stewart was also rumored to have built this harem of young women around him, women who lived in his house and were called Gale Helpers. He admitted one time even in straying with another woman in the late 1980s, but many think that that's just the tip of the iceberg with him and his involvement with other women. In fact, he built a secret staircase to the women's quarters at his compound in the 80s through which he could access the Gale Helper's rooms at will. Today, the Kobu still runs a few stores called Old Good Things, Old with an E. They resell vintage home accessories and fixtures at high prices and employ workers from the cult. They've also 
also continued their operations in Haiti since the 1970s of running outreach and orphanages for children, even though these facilities were investigated for fraudulent activity. In this first episode, my mom Judy describes the time period way back before entering the Kobu, late 1960s, early 70s. She describes how the conditions in her life and really the country at large led her to search for higher meaning, how she came to be in contact with this group, and the search that ultimately led her to the Kobu and kept her in it for years afterwards. Something to keep in mind while my mom is telling her story is that she has been remarried for 20 years at least to my stepfather Larry, so when she refers to her husband now, she's not talking about my father, Ray, who was a Kobu member she was married to for 20 years before that. They divorced when I was in college, so all of my formative years growing up were with my nuclear family, and she will flip back and forth between talking about then and now. But really what episode one is all about is starting at the beginning, and so that's where we'll start. All right, so mom, we were talking about just all of the stuff that went into you and dad being in the Kobu, how you met there, the time period. I think we should start at the beginning. What year was this? What was it like in the United States? Why were people searching for things? I mean, it was the late 60s and early 70s. And there's so many groups like cults and not even cults, communal living, I think you mentioned right. the Peace Corps, things like that really kind of ballooned during right. this time. So what was going on that kind of made people start to search for stuff? A lot of turmoil. Let's see. I graduated high school in 71. You had the Vietnam War that was going on since 1962 or 63. Yeah. Way overdue. People were protesting that. They had uh, the lottery where they uh, for the people draft. being drafted. My brother was in that. His number was like 273. Fortunately, he didn't get drafted. Unfortunately, a lot of people did. My husband, Larry, went to Vietnam in 1963. So he was there in the beginning. But anyway, that was going on. There were a lot of people against it. People were growing up and just more globally conscious. Mm -hmm. Probably because of the war, there were think people starving in countries, things that you just didn't hear about. We were not in the madmen yeah. age anymore. And nobody really wanted to get into that. I mean, there were some people that did. Actually, in my high school, there were probably two or three other people that were of the same mindset as I was. I mean, we were burning flags or, you know, going crazy, but just wanted something a little more. People were joining communes, living off the land. You know, you had Woodstock. I mean, there were just things that were new and different. You had Peter, Paul, and Mary writing and singing fabulous songs, Bob Dylan, all type, Joan Baez, all types of music. Everything was gearing toward that. Look for something more than yourself. And the, But Nina and Papa, so my grandparents, your parents, they were more of the, like, world, they were the World War II Correct. era. Correct. And they were, like, buy a house, work, the mom stays home, nuclear right. family, don't rock the boat. So did they understand what was going on? Not really. My mom was more, well, my dad was gone a lot. He worked a lot. And yeah. He was in sales. He was the mad, mad man. I mean, he was in sales on the road. Totally. Shirt and tie. He mowed the lawn in a white button down shirt <laughs> with the sleeves rolled up. <laughs> Didn't think anything of it then. Now I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh. He took his tie off when he wanted to relax. Yeah. Or, or just loosened it. Or just loosened it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a 
great household. I mean, you know, there was love. It, it was, there wasn't anything abusive or weird, but I think they were just like, so are you going down to the malt shop after the sock hop? <laughs> That was like gone. Those days were gone. And it was, I think it was difficult. There was a big divide. Yeah. My mom was open to it. I would sit and explain things to her. And, you know, these are the things going on around the world. This is, you know, I'd maybe like to do this. And understanding because she actually had a real good heart. My brother went to college. They wanted me to go to college. And I had no interest whatsoever in going off to college. Probably could have done the same things there that I thought I couldn't do there, you know, yeah. like expand my horizons and get into groups and stuff. Because that's where all the protests were going on. <clears throat> and then students were getting shot even. Kent State. Yeah. That song, Four Dead in Ohio. Yep. They were understanding as much as they could. It, and, and I think it was every parent in any family that was just the, the same way. It was Right. Huge. I was going to say, they're no different than probably all of the other parents. Right. Just thinking like, Scratching I don't know. Scratching their heads. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Wasn't there like a rule in your school or was this dad's story that like your hair couldn't touch your collar yeah. or you'd get kicked out of school? Yeah. Didn't you get sent home for something? I got sent bell home. Bell bottoms? Uh, no, not bell bottoms. Oh. Actually, this is how long ago I went to school. We did have electricity. <laughs> the wheel was invented. <laughs> it was. Thank goodness. <laughs> we actually couldn't even wear slacks. What do you mean slacks? Slacks. You, could, you, had, to wear, you had to wear dresses or skirts. Yeah. Until like my junior year. So now we're talking like 1969. Then we were allowed to wear slacks, but you had to wear like pantsuits. Oh my God. You'd have to look that up in the dictionary. People like <laughs> pantsuits. It's back there with the Beach Boys. Right. But anyway, so toward in, in our senior year, and I'm like, you know, it's ridiculous. Cause I, here's the thinking again. You know, I was like, jeans are just different material. Right. So how can you specify, I'm sorry, you can't wear that material. Like it was just so weird. The thinking, everybody was stuck trying to drag themselves into this, the teachers and everybody, they just didn't get it. So I thought I'm going to wear jeans to school and you could hardly buy jeans in the stores. We had to go to the army Navy store, the real army Navy store to buy bell bottoms. Oh, right. And then they started making them. Right. So I had a pair of jeans and they were bell bottoms and they were really nice and um, they weren't like ratty or anything. And I had sewn a strip of embroidery around the bottom. I didn't get past my locker. Oh my God. You know, but meanwhile, people were uh, getting pregnant and leaving school and they were throwing like baby showers for them. Like, <laughs> right. Weren't people still getting married really young? Well, you ended up getting <laughs> yeah. married young too, yeah. but I mean, like that was really, really common. Oh yeah. Like, even it was in high very school. common. It was very common. People think teen pregnancy now is really rampant, and I know uh -uh. it's not. Uh -uh. It's not compared to back right. then. Yeah. You just didn't hear about it. You didn't. Everything was hush-hush. They just went to their aunt's house. Exactly. And you never saw them again. <laughs> no. And she really didn't have an aunt. The so. nunnery. <laughs> you know, right. Kidding. So anyway, I got as far as my locker, and somebody must have had a heart attack. And, <laughs> and even some of the students, like the football team, they were like the worst, which I had to really get over that later because the athletes... Yeah. I just thought they were dumb and ignorant, you know, because they'd be like, hey, hippie, <laughs> which used to strike me funny because I wasn't a hippie. I wanted to be a hippie, but I wasn't. You were a wannabe hippie. But I knew what right. a hippie was. And I just thought it hysterical that I'm like, this is how bad it is. Like, you think I'm a hippie? 
Anyway, so yeah, I got sent it I got sent out and one of my really good friends, a guy friend, um, said, Well, if they're sending you out, I'm going too. So we went and spent the day at the pool hall, which makes me just sound so off the pool hall. Now my mom would have had a fit about that, but yeah, we just went to the pool hall and spent the day and then uh went back and caught the bus and went home and I just didn't wear jeans again. That was the end of that. That's so crazy. It is crazy. That's what I'm saying. It but I I'm laughing about it now, but I knew then I'm like, it's like you take this little thing and you make it such a big thing. And meanwhile, like people were dropping out of school and getting pregnant and driving drunk and go, you know. Yeah. Here's the deal. The nation's like in turmoil and that, and teenagers are getting in trouble for wearing jeans. Right. So that makes right. you want to search for like truth elsewhere. Exactly. The people in charge, exactly. the teachers, the parents, the government is all like so foreign to this generation. Right. But your brother wasn't really, he went to college, but he wasn't really in that movement as much as you ended up being. He, 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 what, was, he was interested in politics and things. He was into politics. He was always interested in um, unfairness. Yeah. Things that weren't fair, you know, but it always seemed like, um, like human rights equality. Correct, yeah, correct. he was here and, and around the world. But by the time I got out of high school, he was already out of the house and yeah, you know, so but you were always interested in that too, mm-hmm. but then it kind of, it kind of took a turn for you joining a spiritual group right? instead of a political movement, right. say, right. So you could have gone and I feel like you could have gone in any direction. Exactly. I was up for grabs. You were up for grabs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, when I graduated high this school. This is true, though. This is how you enter birth, a group. You're my, just like, look, you're, you're like looking and somebody finds you. When I graduated high school, I was 17. Oh, that's right. Because I turned 18 in that summer. You were like the youngest in your grade. Right. Because my summer, my birthday was always in the summer. Yeah. So I was always the right age, but I was like just the right age. Yeah. You know? So I was 17, you know, you realize how much you don't know when you look back. Yeah. 17 know? is really young. Yeah, but it then, is. Was it right after that, that someone from the COBU started inviting no. you to meetings? No. Or did you have like a little bit of time after high school before you got wrapped oh, up? Oh, I, I had a year. I didn't uh, get involved in that till I was 19. Like, ooh, that's so much older. No, but, but that's too Years. It was two years. I worked, <clears throat> still did stuff with friends, visiting with friends. I had a friend who went off to college, and we'd go visit her. Uh, I had a friend who got pregnant and got and you married. lived and at home while you were doing lived this? Lived at home. Okay. Yep, lived at home, but stayed at other people's places, you know, and some of my friends were still at home. And you would, like, <laughs> used to go to concerts and stuff? Oh, yeah. And hitchhike. We, we hitchhiked to see the Rolling Stones in 1972. At JFK Stadium in D.C. And, you know, it's funny, but I looked back. And you didn't get murdered. <laughs> uh, my friend stayed over, and we said, we're going to go. We lived like five blocks off of a bypass, which is sort of like a highway. We said, we're going over here because so-and-so's picking us up. A lie. And uh, <laughs> and taking us to the Rolling Stones concert, which we did have tickets. So we um, got out there, and we hitchhiked. And we didn't go a block and this young couple, like a hippie couple, picked us up and we said, yeah, you know, where are you going? Are you heading south toward, you know, Baltimore, D.C.? And they said, we're going to the Rolling Stones concert. We were like, okay. We gave them a little money for gas and we went with them. We got out. Bye. Thank you. Went to the concert. Fabulous, of course. The whole thing. And, you know, here's your, you're young, you're stupid. This is what you tell your kids. We left and we're like, Oh, we have to find a ride home. Yeah, we got to get home. Which is so stupid. I look back now and I'm like, I honestly think sometimes that there's some, there was some kind of grace because 
it, we weren't doing anything mean. It was just stupid. Right. You know? So <clears throat> we start walking out. Well, you know, when you're going into a place, people are meandering in. When something ends and leaves, it's like crazy. Right. So there were thousands of people and cars. And we just started walking along. The couple that took us down happened to come up next to us in the car and oh my said, God. do you need a ride back? Oh my yes, God. thank you. And dropped us off the four blocks from where I lived. That's crazy. Well, you know, I look back and I'm like, was that like the grace of God or some kind of thing that, because how, how does that happen? Did that and worked, worked in a department store. Loved it. Which is so silly. Oh, yeah, Bowman's. Uh, yeah, Bowman's department store. It's right. like a Where the Boston woman ate story. the face cream. <laughs> right? Am I remembering that story right? Yeah. She, she came in and said, I've been taking two tablespoons of this a night, and it's not doing anything. She yeah. was eating it. She was supposed to put two tablespoons a night on her face. And it was this, <laughs> it was called this orange jelly or something. And it was super, back then, it pre- <laughs> now it wouldn't be expensive. Back then, it would be super expensive. And the woman that waited on her, because I was in the next... I was in purses and stationery. Uh, yeah. The woman waited on her, like, had to walk away because the woman who was eating it was like the owner's wife. <laughs> oh, my God. So you couldn't be like, well, you're really dumb. Did you read it? You know, So and yeah, she was... You're what we call a special kind of stupid. <laughs> so after she left, we were like, it's a wonder she didn't go to the hospital for something. She, yeah. So she this was, is, again, who you're dealing with in the generation above yours. They're like, I'm eating this face cream. And it just doesn't seem to be taking my wrinkles away. And you're like, yeah. I got to go join a cult now. Yeah. And I'm like, boy, I'm on the right path, even though it's nowhere. I'm doing something. Do so you always feel like spiritual, though? I mean, you grew up Episcopalian. Right. And that was Which the is church. not very spiritual. No. And I mean, not to down, not to no. come down on Episcopalians, but I think that Nina's church, which is your mother, my grandmother, and the minister looks like a priest. It's basically Catholic light. I would call it. it. It's it's the Church of England. They broke off from the Catholics, right, during the Reformation, right, and that's why a lot of it's the robes, the pilgrims, and the candles, and that's why it's so huge up there because they were being persecuted by the Catholics. So, so that's how you grew up, though. But you just didn't connect to it. <clears throat> Not really. I mean, I did. I liked going. I remember going to church camp. Um, oh, really? Yeah, they had that back then. Yeah, well, okay. it was like <laughs> it was like they had that back then. Yeah. <laughs> What else? Tell me. What else did they have? I'll get in the horse and buggy. <laughs> <laughs> but well, and most of them were like day camps, like Bible camp. Okay, I just know, didn't know you went to camp. Summer yeah. Bible school and stuff like that. But um, I mean, Nina was really involved. In she that was, church. and the thing is, like, is, really involved. She was. She taught Sunday school, which is weird because I ended up doing that years and years I know. later. I had a heart for that. But um, she she had all her best friends, all our family friends and everything were through the church and their everybody. families and everybody. And um, She did that Chapter 7 group or what was it? Chap- they called it Chapter Something. Yeah. And it was the group of women at the church who cooked all the food for every or event. Any- any type of uh, entertaining if somebody was having something or I was going to call yeah. it chapter 11 but it's not well there was one of those yeah, was, I think that's bankruptcy <laughs> I think so too but it was a food cooking <laughs> chapter I don't know what it happens at <laughs> some churches too but um and then she volunteered in a church consignment <laughs> shop for yeah, years for years I mean, she did a lot with that church she did and you know it's um after I really um got to know more about um Christianity and and 
and read more about it and, and read things in the Bible. I looked back and I'm like, you know, she, that when I look back at the services and everything, they, they were, it's just that it didn't hit me and it doesn't hit everybody because you go and you, it's sort of just learned by rote and you you say things and you sit down and stand up and whatever. But see, to her, she was actively doing it. Yeah. It was hitting her. She was saying, when she'd say the things, it wasn't by rote. So and then now when I look back and I'm like, well, I could have been doing that too, but I wasn't. It just didn't hit me. I needed something For whatever else. reason, yeah. Then when I look back, I could have gone to any church and gotten a lot out of it because I was of a different mindset then. Right. But right. what? But, but then what happened? Somebody invited you to... No, I didn't go to the Kobu. Kobu? I had a, a boyfriend who in Massachusetts who I'd had off and on since I was 14. Every time I'd go up there and um, I'd met him through my cousin and uh, we would write, and then I'd go up and visit, you know, during the summers with my cousin, and we'd get together. I was 19, and we went up for Easter, and I called him, and I was like, I'm here. And he's like, well, I need to talk to you. He started telling me that he had joined a Christian group, and, um, he, you know, he was like uh, the thing, like, I'm a Christian now, so I can't look, touch you or kiss you or look at anybody or do. I mean, he, like, was the other way. So I, and I was, like, just taken back by it. He was at a church where they were, like, playing, and it was, like, a, just, like, a love fest in a Christian way, you know. Way so, different than Episcopalian. Way different, way different. Yeah. So anyway, he talked to me, and, and um, I got really mad. I got really mad because I was like thinking, well, how could God be like that? And how can he just do this? And it's not like we were getting married or anything, but we knew each other for years, five years. And um, I just remember getting so mad. And then um, I went home to my aunt and uncle's house with my cousin. And I remember just crying and crying. And I just prayed and I hadn't prayed. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to just without being in a service and you read the prayers and stuff. It was just weird because the next day I just felt really different. And then I just started getting this hunger to find out about this. One of my best friends telling her about it, she said, oh, well, there's this group of people called the Forever Family, which yeah. is like so hippie-ish. Well, and that sounds very culty, and that's why he ended up changing the name later. No kidding. The Forever Family? It sounds like a suicide pact. It does, and that's, yeah. and that's why we called ourselves the FF. Right, like, <laughs> which is also known as like swearing. Yeah, no. No kidding. The so, Forever Family. And so that's what it was called in 1971. So, no, two. this would be 70, uh, 73. And then he... And then I went over to their house, over to the house. This was all from based in Allentown and had reached sort of the Harrisburg area. Correct. Harrisburg and Reading. Yeah. And Ray, your dad, yep. was in charge of this group. But there were two married couples there. He was in charge. Yeah. Can, I know <laughs> Okay, I know. Let's pause for a moment. Okay, that's in a whole other show. We can't go down that road right now. That's for another podcast. That's right. So wait, he so, had been in the group for how long? I think he had been there for about a year. And oh. he had been in, in Allentown. He had come from Florida. Yeah. Where his family lives. But he had also lived out in California and dropped out of school when he was like 15. Oh, that was way before this. The last stint had been with his, he had been with his family in, in uh, Florida and his best friend, Joel, who you yeah. knew, they um, checked into Christianity and really liked it. Yeah. And felt like it was life changing. And, you know, someone from there was on, I know her name, but I'm not going to start naming names, was okay. on vacation in Florida. And gave him a tract. A tract is a thing. It's in there you call it witnessing to tell him about God. Or it's a little pamphlet that gives you some Bible verses, some quotes. And it had the stamp of the Forever Family in Allentown, PA. And he's like, that's it. 
he took a bus and went to Allentown, PA, and that's where he ended up. And when I met him, he was in Harrisburg. Okay. So then he was the first group you went to. So you met my dad right away. Right. Like your first meeting. That, right. Right. Oh, okay. And there were a couple other people that lived there. It was a big house. There were two married couples, him and a, another single girl and another, you know, they shared a room. They were all living there. Yes. And that's where the church services or the group services were Correct. held. Correct. And who was running those? Um, usually uh, Ray or one of the other guys from the married couples. Was it like a church service? Was it a bunch no. of people reading the Bible? Yeah, it wasn't or... a church service. What it did was they do? Usually, it was usually a Bible study or they'd go out handing out pamphlets and then come back to the house and anybody interested would come with them if they wanted to find out about it. Sometimes it was a one-on-one talker. I loved it because I was looking for something. I was sort of had my eyes opened from this other friend who I knew for years in Massachusetts. And I'm like, I could totally see myself doing that. Then going to my local church. There's nothing wrong with the local church. They're fabulous, but I just didn't have the mindset for it. This was more like, wow, they're doing something here with other people our age. And everybody sort of looked like you. They all looked like like hippies. Right. I mean, even if they weren't or right. were or whatever, right. everybody had the long hair and right. the bell bottoms right. and the plaid shirts. It wasn't right. like you were walking in the only person feeling and looking like you. Right, right. It almost felt, it feels like you're joining a sorority or right. a fraternity exactly. of like people who look well, like me. And it was funny because um, from working in a department store and stuff, I had like great clothes, yeah. even though they were like toward that 70-ish look, you know, so I always had on something really you know, and you were from a really good family, mm-hmm. and Dad was from a completely different kind of background. Dysfunctional, yeah. super dysfunctional. Right. Not raised by his parents, right. tossed around to different houses. Lots of people who loved him, right. but dropped out of school before he ever finished high right. school. So it was, it was all kinds there, right? It wasn't like all kinds. There's no way to tell or predict who was going to join that group. No, there were people. I mean, I just look at you two as an example. You're completely diametric exactly. opposition. Both the married couples there were completely different. They were wonderful people. I mean, uh, there were college graduates. There were college dropouts. There were people with masters there were people in college there were people that never worked there were runaways right you know so it's it was every kind of everybody and how big was it when you first went what would you estimate the forever family was at that point oh a hundred people a hundred or less okay and we we would we do everything within the the uh, place and I would um, go over there. I would work I end up getting a job at the for the state of Pennsylvania so I would work. And then uh, walk right down the street because they were right downtown and uh, meet them for lunch and then go back to work and then go home and then go back over. After about two months or three months, I was like so tired and said it turned out I was like suffering. I thought I had mono. I was suffering from just being totally exhausted, you know. Every weekend on Saturday nights, everybody, wherever their their houses were, they called it the fellowship, the Harrisburg Fellowship, the Reading Fellowship, whatever, would all go to Allentown. And that was a Saturday night meeting. And then those are the meetings that Stuart would run. Stuart Trail, which we ended up calling him Stuart Trial. Right. (laughs) That's what it was. So you met Stuart at the first big meeting. Correct. I don't know if I met him directly. Yeah. yeah. Like you found out he's the one in charge of all this. Right. And they had a huge house up there. And some of the older people um, that had been with him from the beginning, you met them, met some nice people, you know, and um, then we'd all go, they, you know, have this meeting and that would be it. And then we'd all get in the vans and drive back and stop at a diner at about two in the morning because everybody's starved and uh, go back. Yeah, and you were living still at home. Correct. Yeah. 
So next time we'll talk about how it was when you got deeper into the group. Yep. And really got into a relationship with my dad and you guys started to be 100% part of it. Correct. We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk.